just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. I want to say thank you to Jody for joining me on the last show. It's always intriguing talking to the listeners because you never know what you're in for until you sit down and start talking. And I've been fortunate. Everyone that's come on has been a gem. Intelligent, articulate, has some insight, has some perspective, and they make the show so easy to do. I'm naturally interested or curious about people. So when I get a chance to talk to somebody I don't know, uh, it's fun for me to ask questions or interact with people and get a sense of what they're about. Now, before she came on the show, I, I had no idea that she was a nursing home administrator. And that's kind of an interesting perspective. I didn't know that she lived just outside of Tulsa either. So all that kind of played into the, the whole show, and I appreciate her stepping up and doing that. She said, I'd love to do it again. I said, I don't care. Just because you came on once doesn't mean you can't come on twice or three times or five times or whatever the fuck works. Like I've always said, it's my show. I'll do whatever I want. I've got nobody with a suit standing over me telling me I can't. And even if they did, <laughs> I'd tell them to fuck off. I'm going to do it anyway. You know, I, I kiddingly say, this is my show, I'll do whatever I want. Uh, but, but in realistic terms, the show doesn't exist without an audience. So this is actually my show and your show. So naturally, if you want to come in and talk on the show, be part of the program, you're more than welcome. Always looking for more people who want to interact on the show that feel comfortable with doing it. If you are one of those folks, don't hesitate. Just email me at rationalboomer at gmail.com. I had uh, one gentleman recently, and it looks like we're going to talk to him next week. Uh, one gentleman said, I'd love to come on, but I'm not an expert on anything. So, <laughs> what the fuck am I an expert on? I'm not an expert on anything. We're real people here. We don't have to be fucking experts. We all have different interactions. We all have different needs and desires and interests. And our opinion should be heard. We don't have to be special or be specifically trained. The only specific training I have is doing this and being on the radio and, 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 and broadcasting, or in this case, narrowcasting. But even that really wasn't a training as much as just doing it forever and kind of figuring it out as I went along. So if you are one of those folks that wants to come on the show, tell us what you know, ask the questions, answer the questions, you're more than welcome. And if you do it once and you like it and you want to come on again, fucking fine. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some of the news that's uh, going on. And uh, there's some interesting shit. This first story is particularly intriguing. I think it's important. Donald Trump's former trade advisor, Peter Navarro, you know who he is. He's the guy that kept showing up on MSNBC or CNN. He'd come out, roll up his sleeves, and he was a tough guy. <laughs> and this dumb fuck would come on and confess to being part of the attempted coup. That's what he'd fucking do. 
Well, yesterday, he was indicted by the DOJ for criminal contempt of Congress. Now, you remember, he was subpoenaed by the January 6th committee uh, to testify, and he refused because he claimed executive privilege, which isn't really a thing because Donald Trump never invoked executive privilege, and even if he did, Joe Biden's the only one that can approve that because he's the sitting president. And of course, he didn't do that and would never do that. So the idea that he has some kind of executive privilege is fucking ridiculous. He knows that. But anyway, he wouldn't comply with the subpoena. And he's on TV telling all the details. (laughs) What did he call it? The, The Green Bay Reverse or something like that? I don't even know where he got that name. Why Green Bay and why the football reference? Well, I suppose it's because he's a tough guy and he wants people to know that he knows all about football. (laughs) Now, yesterday, he wasn't quite so tough. You see, when you get an indictment, what they do is they come get your ass. They come get your ass and take you to jail. They process you, and then you have to post bail, and then you get out. Well, yesterday, he wasn't quite so tough. He was swooped up by the law enforcement, and when he was released on bail, this is what he said to the media. Now, listen to this. This is Peter Navarro talking. I was on my way to Nashville. What do they do? Instead of calling me and saying, we need you down at the court, We have a warrant for your arrest. What did they do? They intercepted me, getting me as I'm trying to get on the plane. They put me in handcuffs. They bring me here, put me in leg irons, and stick me in a cell. That's that's punitive. What they did to me today violated the Constitution. (laughs) What are they supposed to do, Pete? You want them to call you and tell you to do something, and you're suggesting you'll comply. But what are you being indicted for? (laughs) You're fucking being indicted for having the government ask you to do something and you not complying. And by the way, you were leaving town. You knew this was coming to pass sometime soon. Why are you leaving town? So he's all upset. He's crying and whining. And if you see the video, you can look at him. You can see he's pretty shook up. And I'll be perfectly honest with you. If you've ever been put in cuffs and dragged into jail, that is a little traumatic, especially if you're not used to having that happen. The thing is, Pete, it's not actually unconstitutional. In fact, it's like a textbook fuck around and find out. If you would have simply complied, this wouldn't have happened. What you got was a good old-fashioned perp walk. You know, this is, this, this is the thing. This is about arrogance. I can do whatever I want because I'm connected to Donald Trump or I'm in the government or I once held a position. The weird thing about this, he would not testify in front of the January 6th committee. He would not comply with the subpoena. But he was more than happy to go on TV and tell all the things he would have told the January 6th committee. So it's not about giving the information out. He's stupid enough to spew that out and essentially confess. 
apparently his problem was he didn't want to go against Donald Trump because he knew Donald Trump would be angry if he testified willingly in front of the January 6th committee. So he thinks, like Donald Trump and everybody else, that uh, he can delay it and delay it, and maybe they forget about it, and maybe they don't do it, and it'll never come to pass. Well, as I say, Pete Navarro found out what it's like to fuck around and find out, because now he's indicted. They get him as he's getting on a plane. They put him on handcuffs. They put leg irons on him. They put him in a jail cell. And here's the funny thing that he said. (laughs) This is the funny thing he said uh, that they told him. I don't know if this is true or not. He said they were kind of making fun of me. They said they were putting me in the same cell where John Hinckley lived. (laughs) He was really upset. I mean, he seemed shaken up. And I understand that. You you get somebody grab you off a plane by surprise and put you in cuffs, that will scare the shit out of you. Unless you're a habitual criminal, and I don't know that he's that. He's certainly a fucking dumb fuck. He's certainly a liar, and he's certainly a criminal at this point. But I don't know that he has much experience with it over the years. So now here he is. He finally gets out on bail. He's shitting his pants. He talks to the media. But here's what was interesting about it. I saw this on MSNBC. Apparently, he'd been under a sealed indictment as much as like two days ago. And then while being on under the sealed indictment, not knowing that, he went on NBC, NS, <laughs> MSNBC and started blabbing again while he's under a sealed indictment. He doesn't know that, but what an inopportune fucking time to be blabbering your mouth away. So now what's going to happen to him is that he's going to go on trial and theoretically he'll be convicted because he did exactly what he's being uh, accused of. He ignored a subpoena. There's no two ways about it. That's what he fucking did. Just like Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon ignored the... uh, the subpoena, did not comply, and now he's going to trial. Now, a lot of people are saying to me, yeah, but nothing's going to happen. Look at Steve Bannon. Nothing's been happening. What? Don't you fucking read? Don't you listen? Steve Bannon's trial was delayed. I will give you that. But do you know when Steve Bannon's trial is going to be? Next month, July. He extended it out as far as he could, but he's going on trial in July. And guess what? Just like Pete Navarro, he's going to get convicted because he did exactly what he's being accused of. You were subpoenaed to appear in front of Congress. Did you show up? No. Okay, you're fucking guilty. It's as simple as that. Now, there was some other news regarding um, these criminal contempt referrals and possible indictments. And I know there's a lot of people who heard this story and were upset about it, but you have to understand the parameters here. The Department of Justice has informed the House Select Committee investigating the January 6, 2021 insurrection that it will not, will not indict two former Trump White House officials found in contempt by the committee. 
According to a source familiar with the notification, U.S. Attorney Matt Graves notified Doug Letter, the House General Counsel, that the Justice Department had completed its review and had decided it will not be initiating prosecutions for criminal contempt as requested in the referral against Messrs. Meadows and Scavino. Messrs. is just a legal word for misters or whatever. Now, the New York Times first reported that the, the news that Mark Meadows, former chief of staff and of then Donald Trump, and Dan Scavino was his uh, deputy chief, won't be prosecuted. Now, everybody's going, oh, my God, holy shit. See, nobody's going to get anything. Nobody's going to be accountable. They're just all going to get away with it. But you have to understand the circumstances here. The decision by the Justice Department is a blow to the House panel's efforts to enforce subpoenas related to its investigation and could embolden other Trump associates facing similar requests to not cooperate. Well, that's everybody who's not cooperating is already not cooperating. It comes the same day that the former White House trade advisor, again, Pete Navarro, was indicted for failing um, to cooperate with the committee. Now, unlike Scavino and Meadows, however, Navarro openly defied the committee's request and made no attempt to negotiate terms to comply, and the subpoenas of Meadows and Scavina were complicated. Both officials served in a high-level position in the Trump West Wing and thus had more compelling cases for executive privilege. Each also made an effort to cooperate with the committee at different points in the investigation. Meadows notably handed over thousands of pages of documents, including text messages that have become an important part of the committee's work. Scavino's attorney, Stan Brand, uh, applauded the decision in a statement to CNN saying, I'm grateful they, the Justice Department, exercised their discretion not to bring this case. A spokesman for the Department of Justice declined to comment. A spokesperson for the January 6th Select Committee did not respond. An attorney familiar with Meadows and Scavino's cases told CNN that they were not surprised by the Justice Department's decision. They argued that both men had engaged the committee and that unlike Navarro and Steve Bannon, who have both been indicted, Scavino and Meadows had serious claims of privilege. So what they're basically saying is that they were closer to the president, so they may very well have had some issues with some of the information they had. That's kind of bullshit, to be perfectly honest with you. The DOJ kind of has to pick and, pu- pick and choose who they're going to prosecute because uh, with this January 6th shit, there's going to be a lot of prosecutions going on. And, of course, keep in mind— Meadows has a lot of other legal problems. Just because he didn't get indicted for this situation doesn't mean he's not going to get indicted. Fact is, he's probably going to get indicted. And maybe that's why they chose not to do it. They didn't want to confuse the issue. The bigger issues are coming. And we'll see that in the hearings, the televised hearings, and some of the information that's gotten out. Dan Scavino, we haven't heard too much about. But people are seeing this as, oh, it's horrible. They're not going to be indicted. Well, you want to wait a minute on Mark Meadows particularly. Some of the things he did, some of the things he did were pretty egregious when it comes to trying to overthrow this country. 
So he's going to be looked at for many other things. They may just not have indicted him on this because they didn't need this messing up the rest of the bigger stuff. Dan Scavino, he's kind of a he's kind of a little player. He was uh, he was Mark Meadows' lackey, and yeah, he was probably involved, but he was tied to the Oval Office, and that makes everything a little bit tougher. So if you're upset that Meadows and Scavino didn't get indicted, just relax. It's not a problem. It's not surprising. And like I say, Mark Meadows has plenty of other bigger issues hanging over his head. Once these hearings start and uh, once they're concluded, you're going to see a lot of people getting referrals to be indicted, and those indictments will come down. It's not just about not showing up to testify in front of the January 6th committee. We're talking about treason. We're talking about sedition. We're talking about trying to overthrow the government. They aren't going to just set those aside. So they're not done with Mark Meadows. Don't worry about this. This is a little thing. This is minor. I mean, the fact of the matter is Mark Meadows turned over enough shit to give them a bigger case. Are you going to treat Peter Navarro or Steve Bannon, who did nothing, absolutely nothing, are you going to treat them the same way, meaning Scavino and Meadows, in spite of the fact that they turned over a bunch of stuff and it was important stuff that was going to help them down the road? I'm, I'm not really worried about this. This isn't a big deal. And I think the people who are looking for something to whine about, they will cry about that. But I'm telling you right now, don't worry about it. (laughs) there's bigger fish to fry when it comes to Mark Meadow, and it's yet to come. Okay, here's something that's interesting. And, you know, we've heard the rumors, but this ends up being factual. It comes from a good source. There was a classified U.S. report obtained by Newsweek, and it says that Vladimir Putin underwent treatment for cancer in April of this year. Now, three intelligence leaders that were part of this report described that Vladimir Putin has quite advanced cancer. That's not surprising by the way he looks and trying to hold his hands in certain ways, involuntary movements with his legs and such. So we've been hearing that he may have cancer. This appears to be verification that he does have, in fact, has cancer, but also that it's advanced. We don't know what kind of cancer. We don't know how advanced. But I'm thinking you have to be stage four to be considered quite advanced. You can't get more advanced than that. So as I'm looking at Vladimir Putin now, kind of sounded like a dead man walking because that wasn't the only thing that happened to him. That wasn't the only problem. You see, the report also states there was an assassination attempt on Vladimir Putin in March. Obviously, it wasn't successful, but somebody inside tried to kill Vladimir Putin. We've talked about this whole idea of them kicking him out of office and sending him away someplace because of the crazy stuff he's doing in Ukraine and the threats of uh, nuclear war and all of that. So you know somebody's thinking about it. I'm guessing he's probably tightened up his security since that attempt. But you know the idea is bouncing around in the Kremlin. So he's got advanced cancer, and he's got people among him that want him dead. 
does not look bright. The future does not look bright for Trump's boyfriend, Vladimir Putin. People always say, now, I don't wish death on anybody. But I have an exception here. When, when, when they say, I don't wish death on anybody, my exception is Vladimir Putin. I hope he dies an agonizing death. I hope his cancer is ass cancer. And people will say that's so mean, but this guy's a fucking monster. He's a monster. He's killed so many people. He went and attacked a pretty, pretty peaceful country in Ukraine. Tens of thousands of Ukrainians have died unnecessarily just because of his fucking ego. So if he's lying in bed someplace, um, dying of some kind of cancer and it's agonizing, good. If someone puts a bullet in his head, all the fucking better. Because you know what's going to happen the moment he dies. The moment it's announced that he dies, there will be celebrations all over the world. The only downside to this is I wish he had died prior to invading Ukraine, prior to the death and destruction he inflicted on Ukraine. We need to get a death lottery going, you know? Everybody picks a date, puts some money in, whoever wins takes the pot. There is no way, no how, I'm going to feel sorry for Vladimir Putin dying of cancer and at risk of being assassinated. He earned that. His behavior over, what, 30 years, he has earned this. He has been an absolute monster. He is a killer. He is a criminal. He is corrupt. He is a thief. There is nothing good about Vladimir Putin. And uh, I'm looking forward to the day we can say, Vladimir Putin is dead. Yay, let's have a fucking party. And there'll be people on the Republican side saying, oh, that's mean. You wish somebody dead. I wish that motherfucker dead. I've got a few others in the Republican Party I wouldn't be too sad about either if they passed away. But let's focus on Vladimir Putin. This guy needs to be dead. He is a scourge. He is a cancer on this world. He inflicts pain and suffering on tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. Look what's happening in Russia now because of the sanctions. And those sanctions are there only because of the behavior of Vladimir Putin. So nobody should feel sorry for Vladimir Putin. He's going to hate the fact that this got out, the fact that he has cancer, there was an assassination attempt, because this makes him look weak. Now, the thing about it is, is if I'm dying and I've got people that want to kill me, maybe it's time to change the attitude, you know? Maybe I might take a different look at things. You know, it's funny. We always hear about how religious he is. Was he religious before he got cancer? Or is he now trying to save his soul? Which is fucking weird because he's also in the process of, of uh, causing genocide in a perfectly innocent country. If there is a hell, Vladimir Putin is going there. He's going to be hanging out with Hitler and Mussolini and all those fucks. And uh, he will deserve whatever he gets. So let's keep our fingers crossed that either cancer or an assassin gets him very soon. <laughs> I know that sounds horrible, but nobody's more horrible than Vladimir Putin. So I'm, I'm honestly, I've said this before. The situation in Ukraine and half the problems in the world will 
either slow down or go away the moment he is dead. Now, I don't know who's going to take over for him, if that person is any better, but they're going to be weak in the first parts of it. At that point, what I would hope when Vladimir Putin is dead, I would hope that uh, America and China and some of the EU converge on uh, Russia and say, look, man, we can all be more profitable. We can be all be more happy and more safe if we just all work together. Now, that may not be the case fully, but if there was some kind of cooperation and some kind of, you know, just working relationship, everything would be a whole lot better. We can't do that with Vladimir Putin in office. Thankfully, his time is short and good fucking riddance because he is a sincere piece of shit. All right, we're going to take a break and uh, we'll be right back. We'll uh, talk about a bunch of other things that are coming up. We've got some other news stories. And uh, so we'll take the break. We'll be right back. On every show, I tell you that if you have questions, comments, or complaints, just reach out to me at rationalboomer at gmail.com. Those emails come directly to me, and your input is crucial to this show. The show is called Rational Boomer Podcast, but that's not to suggest that I'm the Rational Boomer. I am not. I am simply a Rational Boomer. All of you are Rational Boomers. Anybody of a like mind is a Rational Boomer. Strength comes in numbers and not through an individual. You have perceptions and insights that may have never occurred to me. This isn't a show about me. This is a show about us and gaining a voice in this country. There's 70 million baby boomers in this country. Yeah, I know the younger folks would prefer to push us aside. Every generation has done that. But we are a formidable force if we can get together and speak in one voice. This is why I encourage you to let your friends and family know about the Rational Boomer podcast, not to satisfy my ego, but to give us more power, a stronger voice to help right this ship we call the United States of America. Lastly, I'm offering the opportunity for my listeners to be on the show. Now, it could be two minutes, it could be a half hour, it could be the whole fucking show. I'd much rather have you on the show than somebody pimping a podcast or a book. I want to hear what you think. I want to know what you know. The Rational Boomer Podcast is all about us. Well, believe it or not, we have finally a decision in Pennsylvania. Former hedge fund CEO David McCormick conceded the Republican primary in Pennsylvania for U.S. Senate to celebrity heart surgeon Dr. Mehmet Oz, ending his campaign Friday night as he acknowledged an ongoing statewide recount wouldn't give him enough votes to make up the deficit. So, Dr. Oz, the fucking charlatan, He was the one that was endorsed by Donald Trump. Now you're going to hear Donald Trump getting excited and see, I'm the kingmaker, I'm doing this, although he's got a lot of failures. Some people might look at this as bad news because Donald Trump's guy got the uh, primary win. And in actuality, it's probably a good thing. Dr. Oz is a charlatan. He's a fucking liar. He's a piece of shit. Um, And you know how the Republicans are like, America first. I heard a little thing about Dr. Oz. In 2018, during the midterms, he did not vote in this country. 
However, he did vote in his home country of Turkey. Oh, the Republicans will love the fuck out of that, won't they? Fact of the matter is, there's a lot of Donald Trump supporters or Republicans in Pennsylvania that didn't like Dr. Oz. That's why he didn't win a decided, um, a decided, uh, an immediately decided election. Now, after a bitter campaign that blanketed the airwaves with millions of dollars in attack ads, McCormick issued a gracious concession vowing to help unite the party behind Oz. He said, it's now clear to me with the recount largely complete that we have a nominee. He said, and today I call Mehmet Oz to congratulate him on his victory. McCormick's concession cements a general election campaign between Dr. Oz, who was endorsed by former President Donald Trump, of course, and Democrat John Fetterman in what is expected to be one of the nation's premier Senate races. Already, the national parties are sponsoring attack ads on TV in a presidential battleground state that is still roiled by Trump's baseless claims of stolen election in 2020. Now, the result could help determine control of the closely divided chamber, and Democrats view it as perhaps their best opportunity to pick up a seat in the race to replace retiring two-term Republican Pat Toomey. So, if the Democrats can win in uh, Pennsylvania... That gives them a little more of an edge and uh, takes a little power away from Dumbfuck Mansion. Now, the reason I think having Dr. Oz as the candidate is a good thing is because he's probably the crazier of the two. He's the more outgoing. Uh, Oz is more arrogant. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. McCormick is a fucking piece of shit, too. He's all about the big lie. He would have been just as as good as the candidate, but Oz is a little weirder, a little crazier. And obviously there's a lot of Republicans that have distaste for this guy. And see, that's the interesting thing about this primary is there was a lot of division as to who was going to win. I mean, we went down to the wire. It's not till now that they come up with a winner after recounts and they were going to go to court and all this shit. So there's a lot of division in the Republican Party. However, with Fetterman, he beat uh, his opponent by like 40 points. So everybody is pretty well behind Fetterman as the candidate for the U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania for the Democrats. Now, of course, he was running against Connor Lamb, who's kind of an established politician who people thought would do pretty well in this. Fetterman is the lieutenant governor of the state. He's a little more meat and potatoes kind of guy. He's kind of a, he doesn't look like your typical politicians. He's wearing t-shirts. He's got the goatee. He talks plainly. And I think a lot of people will like that from him. The one negative with Fetterman is that uh, he had a stroke. Yeah, John Fetterman had a stroke like three days before the primary. And in a lot of situations, that would spell trouble for that particular candidate. If people don't think he's healthy enough to do it, they aren't going to vote for him. Well, two days later, we have the election, and he has a resounding win over Connor Lamb. 
So people are pretty solid behind him. He's coming along, and he'll be fine, apparently, by the general election. It'll be interesting to see how it affects his campaigning. Uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what the perception of the public is since he's gone through this. But we're going to watch it closely. And the upside for John Fetterman is that Dr. Oz is a complete idiot, charlatan piece of shit. If all things were even or equal, Fetterman should kick this guy's ass with no problem. And I think he might. But it is Pennsylvania. It is the Republicans, and God knows what they'll be doing between now and then to uh, discount Fetterman. Of course, the Democrats will be doing it to Dr. Oz, too. And it won't be that hard. He's got a lot of negative shit on his side. And he's already got Republicans that don't like him. So it'll be very interesting to see how this goes. But this is an important race, as they said. Pennsylvania had a Republican senator in Toomey. And if we can switch it to Democrat with Fetterman, that's going to give us even that much more of an edge in the U.S. Senate. As it is, it's a 50-50 split with Kamala Harris breaking the tie. The only problem is now we've got somebody like Manchin who typically votes against the Democrats. So while we have a technical tie in the U.S. Senate and a small majority with Kamala Harris being the vice president, if we can get one more person, if we can get one more person and keep the Senate the way it is, then Joe Manchin's vote doesn't count. We can get the 50 senators to vote our way because, let's be honest, John Fetterman is a liberal. Everything that Manchin wouldn't vote for, he would have voted for. So if now we had 51 to their 49 and Manchin decides to go with the Republicans, we still have 50 votes. We have 50 votes, and that 50 votes could do a lot of good. Now, of course, we have to deal with the filibuster, but we need 50 votes to challenge the filibuster, and Manchin won't do it, so we are stuck with the filibuster. We get John Fetterman in, and Manchin is still there, of course, because he's not up for election for a couple more, three or four more years. Um, but if he's if he becomes irrelevant, at least to the Democrats, uh, and they can somehow get in there and do something with the filibuster, then everything fucking changes. And then, you know, if we get other Democratic senators in there and make the margin even bigger then we're home free. We can start doing whatever the fuck we want for the next two years, and hopefully the Democrats will be strong enough to do that. Well, here is the epitome of Republican dumb fuckery. (laughs) Representative Louis Gohmert, you know this fucking clown. He was on Newsmax, and he made this direct quote. I'll read it to you. He said, and he was referring to Peter Navarro being arrested and taken into court or into jail, actually. This is what Louis Gohmert said on Newsmax. If you're a Republican, you can't even lie to Congress or the FBI, and they're coming after you. (laughs) Wait, what? 
Louis Gohmert is complaining that you can't even lie to Congress or the FBI anymore. Was Louis Gohmert under the impression that when he was elected to office, one of the perks was that he would be able to lie to Congress and the FBI with impunity? Did he really fucking believe that? And then he has the audacity to say the quiet thing out loud. This guy is so stupid, he doesn't even understand how bad what he said is. I can't break the law. My God, that's not fair. But that's not new. That's not new to the Republicans. They do this all the time. You know, when they're trying to suppress votes, they've, they've come out and said, look, if we can't do this, we can't win any elections. Well, too fucking bad. They're basically telling us that we have to cheat to win. We should be allowed to cheat to win. And you shouldn't question us on this. I mean, it's just fucking laughable. I mean, I get it. We know the Republicans are corrupt and criminal. But now we have verification that they are indeed fucking stupid. Nobody with any brains would make that kind of comment, offer that kind of quote on a national television show, albeit Newsmax. Granted, he's got all the uh, trump watching there, and they'll probably say, yeah, that's right, why can't we lie? <laughs> But you know it's going to get out to the rest of the public. Those Republicans that are uh, uh, decent and normal, albeit conservative, they're going to say, what the fuck is that? I can't align myself with that kind of thing. I mean, you really have to be stupid to say that out loud. This is why when the televised hearings start, we are going to see and hear some unbelievable shit. Republicans are so arrogant and have gotten away with so much shit, they don't even think about it. But I got to tell you, times have changed a little bit. Now they're going to be under the microscope. People are going to be paying attention. And the quiet stuff will be said out loud, but it won't necessarily be coming from them. It will be coming from the evidence in the January 6th committee. Because we know Louis Gohmert was in the thick of it with regards to the insurrection. He may be one of those people that's expelled from the House of Representatives. He may be one of those people that end up indicted for the things he did leading up to the insurrection. Louis Gohmert is a joke, and that's a sad thing about the state of politics right now. There's always been bad politicians, but we have absolutely silly, I mean, fucking silly, stupid politicians. Just to name a few, Matt Gates, Jim Jordan, who's got his own set of problems, Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Louis, Louis Gohmert, Tommy Tuberville, all these fucks, they constantly say stupid shit. Now, there was a time back in the day, you know, like back in the 60s, 70s, even the 50s, when somebody would say something just off course a little bit, they would be sacrificed by their uh, party. They didn't want that kind of thing hanging over their heads, so they had to take some action. And when they took action, they got rid of these people. Much much like they did with Madison Cawthorn. Yeah, they dumped his ass on his uh, in, in a ditch someplace. 
and he's pissed. And of course, now he's talking about retribution and coming back and exposing some things. That should be fun. That should be fucking entertaining. We heard from another Republican, and I never know how to take this guy. Sometimes I think he's sensible, and other times I think he's a fucking idiot. But he is a Republican, so clearly he probably is an idiot. I'm talking about Republican Senator Ben Sass. Now, he's not running for president this time yet, but he has a harsh message for his party. He's speaking against his party. Now, we know what that did for Kinzinger and Cheney. We'll see if it happens to him. He says it's time to stop humoring Donald Trump and those within the GOP who support him. He goes on to say, we Republicans have a choice to make. We can either continue to drift as a party that exists as a vehicle for the grievances of the angriest, oldest folks, or we can be the future-focused party of 2030 with policies centered on the future of work and the future of war, Sass said in a speech Thursday night. And he did that at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in California. Ironic. In case you missed his point, Sass made it again later in the address. And uh, here's the key to that. This is what Ben Sass said. In 2016 presidential campaign, you had two candidates with widely, wildly different solutions, but their fundamental diagnosis was the same. The system is rigged. You're getting screwed. You're a victim. This country is going down the tubes. You're victims. The left wants a powerful, nameless, but supposedly benevolent bureaucracy. The right wants a strong man, daddy figure. But the loudest of all agree on one thing. America, the one given to us by the founders, the one kept for us by our parents and grandparents, doesn't work anymore. It can't work anymore. And then this too, Matt Gates and Madison Cawthorn, they might as well be from the far left because like all prophets of doom, they love ranting to the American people that we're just victims. Make no mistake what Sass is up to. He is telling his party that to continue following Donald Trump and the Trump-inspired members of the GOP is to ensure long-term defeat. The question is whether anyone in the Republican Party is listening. After all, Trump playing the victim card is uh, his calling card. And now, as much as I hate to say it, Ben Sass is absolutely right. The Republican Party is currently running a fool's errand. If they think this is going to work for them in the long haul, it is not. I know there's a lot of people that have watched things for the last six years that thinks, oh, it should just keep going the way it's going. But it's not. We are kind of at a turning point in this country right now. There's a lot of bad shit going on. But the culmination is near. We've got the hearings with the January 6th committee. Some shit is going to come out that nobody's ever heard and that is going to amaze everybody. They're going to put this together, hearing after hearing on television, and then when it's said and done sometime in late September or October, they're going to put a full presentation on. It's like closing arguments, if you will. 
and they're going to wrap it up in a bow and shove it in your face, and you will be appalled by what they show you. Not only appalled by the insurrection and the planning before, but who was involved, what they did, what they said, all of that is coming to pass. I've said it before that, uh, you know, everybody was enthralled with the Watergate hearings, and that ain't going to be one-tenth of what you're going to see in these upcoming hearings. It'll be all anybody is talking about, I guarantee you. And that's good news for the Democrat. We need them to control the narrative. We need them to drown out the Republicans. And the Republicans, well, they're shitting their pants right now because they know what's coming. They know what they did. They see what this uh, January 6th committee has put together. And the only thing they can do is to suggest that the January 6th committee is not legitimate. But they can't do that. They had an opportunity to take an equal part of this investigation. Kevin McCarthy and all the other Trump fucks decided, no, we're not going to talk about it. I don't know if Kevin McCarthy thought, well, if we won't participate, then they just won't do it. Well, sorry, pal. That's not how it fucking worked out. Then the next step was to discredit the January 6th investigation. But there's nothing to discredit. You do have two Republicans on it, so it is, in fact, bipartisan. I don't care if uh, the trump don't like Cheney or Kinzinger. They are Republicans. It is bipartisan. They know that. But they'll say anything to make it sound like there's something wrong with the committee. I think we found out now that there is nothing wrong. They're actually doing a hell of a job. And uh, for those of you that think they aren't doing a hell of a job, here's what you'll find out when these hearings start. You will be amazed and you will be impressed and you will be excited because you will start to see the downfall of the Republican Party. Nothing like this has ever happened before. Like I said, with Watergate, you had Nixon and he had a few people around his administration. This is going to encompass the president. This is going to encompass his administration. This is going to encompass his cabinet. This is going to encompass people in the House of Representatives and people in the Senate. It's going to involve people outside of government that are assistants or lobbyists or whatever the fuck it is. This is going to expose so much shit. It's going to be like nothing we've ever seen before. And don't don't kid yourself. You always think the Democrats are weak and they're going to uh, do nothing. Well, what we're going to see with eight hearings in June, and that's just June. As I understand it, these hearings may go through September. And as I said, there will be a, uh, a final presentation to pull everything together sometime late September or October. This is going to be a shitstorm for the Republicans. You're going to see them bolting from Donald Trump. You're going to see people making excuses. And you are going to see a fucking shitload of indictments. Could be Donald Trump, may not be Donald Trump. But everybody around Donald Trump, including family members, they are all at risk of getting indictments. All right, we'll uh, wrap this up with a little good news, a little more good news. The jobs report came out. U.S. employers added a healthy 390,000 jobs in May. 
extending a streak of solid hiring that has bolstered an economy under pressure from high inflation and the interest rates. Now, last month's gain reflects a still healthy job market, despite concerns the economy will weaken in the coming months as the Federal Reserve steadily raises rates to fight inflation. The unemployment rate was unchanged. It stayed the same, but it's pretty low at 3.6%. Now, businesses in many industries remain desperate to hire because their customers have kept spending freely despite the intensifying concerns about inflation. Understand, people were locked down during the pandemic. They weren't spending money. When they finally got their freedom, they saved up a lot of money, and they're now spending wildly. And that spending is part of the reason why inflation is happening in this country. Americans' finances have been buoyed by the raising pay, the rising pay, and the unusually large pile of savings they accumulated during the pandemic, as I said. Workers in general are enjoying nearly unprecedented bargaining power. The number of people who are quitting jobs, typically for better positions at higher pay, has been at or near record highs for six months. The strength of the job market is itself contributing to those infl- inflationary pressures. With wages rising across the country, companies are passing on at least some of their increased labor costs to their customers in the form of higher prices. The cost of food, gas, rent, and other items, which fall disproportionately on lower-income households, are accelerating at nearly the fastest pace in 40 years. So a good jobs market is a good sign, but it's also a bad sign. We've got uh, uh, still some issues with supply chain. We've got the war in Ukraine uh, with the gases, and the gas prices are going up pretty high, higher than I thought they'd go. Um, but because people have a lot of extra money, they're spending it. They're buying things. They're taking their discretionary money and buying things, and that's part of the reason why we have the inflation. It's not the only reason, but it's part of the reason. So somehow, somehow with the Fed raising interest rates, hopefully that helps to level things out, but it may be too far out of control for that to do it. There's got to be some other things that do that. Part of this is too gouging. You know, you've got companies in the oil business that are reporting record profits and they're raising their prices because allegedly the cost of their product, oil, has gotten higher. Well, it probably has gotten higher and they've marked it up uh, proportionately, but then they've taken it another step further. They said, well, while we're raising rates and everybody else is raising uh, prices, why not us? They're taking this opportunity to gouge us. And there's not it's not just the oil companies, it's other companies too. They are gouging us. And there's some has to be some way to get a hold on that. I know they're passing some bills to try to stop that, but they've got to get a handle on it because this is a problem. These people that own these big corporations don't mind bleeding you, and that's exactly what they're doing. So We'll see what Biden can do and what the Congress can do to try to level things off. That's the thing about inflation. We had big inflation in the 70s. At some point, it does stop and it comes down. Uh, 
is like everything else, gas prices, home prices. You know, I'm looking at the prospect of maybe buying something in Georgia. I told you that. Just a small condo, nothing expensive, inexpensive actually. Just something for the family and a way to protect some money for my kids when we're gone. And the prices are pretty high. If I went to Georgia right now and I wanted to buy something now and say the price is $150,000, I would have to offer probably 165000 to actually get that offer accepted. There is very little that's going in Georgia, at least in the areas I'm looking at, that last more than a couple of days and... Uh, They're always higher than the asking price. So I'm in no rush to buy anything. I told my wife, I said, if we can, we can. If we can't, we can't. So the question is, do we sit back and wait until it drops? But then I get people telling me, yeah, just wait 12 to 18 months. Well, I'm 62. I don't want to wait fucking two years to decide to do it because God knows what's really going to happen in those two years. See, this this, this is where people are at. They have some money, they've been locked down for two years, and they want to go out and live a little. They're in a position to live a little, and uh, they're making more money, jobs are more prevalent, and they feel confident about their own incomes. But because so many people are spending, and I'm not going to begrudge them that, that is part of why inflation is getting out of control at this point. You can't really blame Joe Biden for it, but we can put some pressure on Joe Biden and the Congress to try to find a way to level it out. All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to listen. If you have questions, comments, complaints, by all means, send me an email at rationalboomer at gmail.com. Or if you want to be on the show, like I said, I'm always open to it. Send me a email at rationalboomer at gmail.com. You have a great day. We will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time. Next time.